You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Erin, and we're glad to have you here with us while we explore how to make space for the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And in today's episode, we're taking another look at the Lord's Prayer. We've been doing a current study, which comes out every Friday, is a new episode in the study. And our current study is on the Lord's Prayer, and we've gone line by line through it. We've done some practices together. We've even done a community practice. And today we're going to be looking at the final line in the Lord's Prayer. And this is in line that's very interesting because not all ancient manuscripts have it. And it says, for your is the last line of the prayer. So it either ends at, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or, and here's the line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, isn't it true that in the Gospels, one of the accounts includes the line and the other one leaves it out? Or is it that in different manuscripts, original sources that or close to original sources, we're finding some translations have left it and others have not included it? Exactly. It's a manuscript difference. And while different manuscripts obviously differ, um, some people I really respect say that they believe that this line should be a part of the prayer, especially like N.T. Wright. He says that um, first it was already established apparently within a century or so of Jesus that it was a part of the prayer. Okay. So the community seems to have believed pretty early on that this was a part of the prayer. And N.T. Wright, and this is um, in his book, Lord and His Prayer. So N.T. Wrote, wrote, wrote a book about the Lord's Prayer. And it says um, he thinks it's inconceivable within kind of the Jewish nature of prayer that Jesus would have ended his prayer with deliver us from evil or from the evil one, that it actually makes more sense that this line would be a part of it. So we're including it as a part of the prayer. And I think it really fits in because I feel like thematically it wraps up the prayer really well. So if you think back to the very first line of the prayer, our father in heaven, holy be your name. There's a praise aspect to it. And we've talked about how it's an invitation for God to make Mm. God's name holy through us. And sort of wrapping up the prayer with God, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. It sort of, again, creates that envelope, right? And we like to talk about... brackets. (laughs) Yeah, and we love to look at those at Rua Space because they're a signifier for an ancient audience that this is what's important. Everything in between ought to be seen in light of this. And so I feel like thematically it wraps it up really well to return to God again, to say, God, we started with your holiness, your greatness. We ask for your kingdom to come for our part in that, for your daily provision, for forgiveness of sins, for guidance and temptation, deliverance from evil. And now we're going to finish again with praise, remembering that it all belongs to you, that all of it is meant to be seen in light of God and God's kingdom. Yeah, and I think not just for ancient audiences, but that bracketing, um, which we absolutely see when you include this last line of the prayer here, for us today, we can apply that anytime you see a theme come back or a line repeat itself. You know now that that's a technique you can use to look at what's in between. Exactly. So it kind of finishes our prayer time again, bringing us back to what it's all about, which is the centrality of God. And God's 
power and everything. Exactly. <laughs> it's Be- all his. <laughs> because we're praying to God. We're right. listening to God. This is God even sort of praying to God through us, right? So right. bringing it back to God's praise is really important. But when it gets into the line specifically, there's actually some fascinating things going on. Because in the first century, and I think we'll very easily see how the same thing is true today, to proclaim that the kingdom, power, and glory belong to God and to Jesus was to deny them of Caesar. Well, because at the time, Caesar was claiming himself as a godlike status. So his whole empire was to worship him. It was his kingdom. His, the point of the kingdom was to take over the world and bring peace through conquering. And yeah. right. So you, you yeah, have they can this... make everyone Roman, even if it meant killing them when they disagreed, there'd be quote unquote peace in the world. Forced peace. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know that peace is even the right word, word but that's no, what he thought so. it, it right. was. So in that context, then when we're seeing Jesus wrap it up by proclaiming that God's, you know, heavenly father of Jesus, you know, God the father is the kingdom and the power. Um, it really is a bit of a cultural stick it to them statement. It dangerous. <laughs> it's a dangerous statement. Because you're proclaiming your allegiance elsewhere. Right. Not to the military of the world, not to the money, not to the fame, not to the people who have control over whether you live or die. The You're politicians, saying, right, anything. Exactly. And John Dominic Crossan, in his book, God and Empire, very good book, by the way, he talks about the fact that um, titles such as divine, son of God, God from God, Lord, Redeemer, Savior. That, so all the titles we used for Jesus. Yeah. He's like, if you were to ask someone, who do those apply to in the first century or in the years before Jesus and after Jesus? We would all think, oh, well, they apply to Jesus. And it's like, well, yes, but actually they also belong to the emperor. They also belong to Caesar, to Rome. And so mm. there's a sense in which when you say yours is the kingdom and power and glory, God, you're directly saying, and by the way, Caesar, they aren't yours. That's not OK for the Roman Empire. Yeah. Like they wanted to be in control of everything. Helps you understand a little more why they were so fearful of Jesus. Right. Because here he is proclaiming a kingdom of a different sort. This is why they kill him, right? Because, I mean, even Pontius Pilate, right? Why does he really allow this to happen and really go forward? Because he's worried that Rome is going to see this person as like subverting empire, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was. Even though he wasn't doing it violently like other revolutionaries, he was doing it in a different way, but in a much more powerful way. And so when we proclaim, God, yours is the kingdom and power, we're denying all the powers of the world that that power doesn't belong to them. And that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That can get you in trouble. That can get you killed. Like literally can get you killed. And I wish things had changed in 2000 years, but they haven't mm-hmm. because we still live in a world where it's people with power want to have the power, whether it's a corporation or whether it's the government or a president or a mayor or whoever it might be, they are the ones that have power or it's an influencer, right? Like social media. This can even happen to churches, right? Well, we have the truth. We're the ones, you know, if you disagree with us, you're outside of sort of the faith even, right? That was even kind of the Pharisees at the time. There's even a sense here to say that God has all the glory and power and strength. It's almost like, it's not the temple leadership. It's truly in God. 
But the reason that it's dangerous is it's not just dangerous in their eyes, but it's dangerous for us to say if we don't mean it. Because it's very easy each and every day to get caught up in the belief that mm. what matters is that I have comfort, that mm. I have security, that people that are different than me don't have access to me, that people who don't look like me or, or don't like me, you know, they can't get to me, right? So let's put up as many walls as we can. Let's stop those people from being in our neighborhood. Let's you know, shame them to not be a part of our community or the idea of I need to buy the next big thing because that's going to bring me happiness. Mm -hmm. That's going to bring me status. That's what life is all about. Or the belief that I'm only going to be successful when I climb the ladder high enough or have mm -hmm. enough money. And it's like, then we're saying mine is the kingdom power and glory. Mm. Right. And that's what culture teaches us. Right. And now see, and I agree that those are definitely pools that we have nowadays. And I think I would say they're probably the same things that were pulled back when Jesus was around. No I think, you know, things like materialism and consumerism and, you know, power of leadership and those things, I think we see them manifest in different ways, but those have always been corrupting influences in our society. I guess you could say they've been yeah. mag magnetism. <laughs> people are, people are drawn to those things, but I would argue that I don't know if praying that last line is dangerous to ourselves as much as it's a tremendous reminder to ourselves. But that... Perhaps dangerous in the sense that we're going to be open to our life being kind of uprooted from what would be culturally appropriate and typical and normal. And now we're going to see by, by consistently praying this prayer to God this final line continually seeping into our mindset that the power and the glory and all things are God's, which perhaps is what you were getting at, just worded in a different way. Um, but that's going to shape us. And over time, as the message that we're praying here sinks into our lives and we start to embrace it and accept it bit by bit and let go of these other things as we become aware of the hold they have in our lives, that that could be really revolutionary um, not just for our own faith development, but the communities that we live in, because I think that sort of revelation will ripple out and start influencing the people you're around because you're going to start taking different actions than you would have prior right. to this realization that the things that say they have power in the world aren't actually what has power in the world. Yeah, and I mean, and so I... I think the reason that I say it's dangerous is twofold. One, you're going to end up looking really weird. Like this again is a line, and I love to say this, that if you're not uncomfortable in your life in some way, that's probably a problem, right? Because the church has never fit in, in the history of the world, mm. except in Revelation, when he goes to the churches and he that's says- That's not a good way to fit in. You, no. They get condemned. Right, because he says, you're too much like the empire. You've joined in. You profess me on Sunday morning, but then the kingdom power and glory belongs to your business, to your home, to your name, to the local government, to Caesar. They were happy for Caesar to protect all their money and prestige and wealth and safety and comfort at whatever cost. And it was the churches that stood out that were being sent to jail, that were being slandered, that were being kicked out, that were being persecuted. And I'm not saying you need to go to jail for your faith necessarily, but I'm saying like, if you look like everyone around you, 
then we have to question if truly we mean yours is the kingdom, power, and glory. Because Jesus' kingdom is one of justice, one of love, one of self-sacrificial service, one of forgiveness. That doesn't fit in with the way of the world. So it's dangerous because you're going to look weird. But second, when we pray for yours is the kingdom, power, and glory, it's not just a proclamation, but a proclamation that's an invitation God, may that be true in my life, right? Mm. And so that means... Just like all the other lines, right? Right. When you're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, that means, God, wherever your kingdom isn't coming and will not being done in my life, fix that. Mm. <laughs> so or, Yeah, to so, bring us awareness. Right. So and... God, may your kingdom power and glory be yours forever. You're saying, may that be done through me. You're not saying, oh, God, may it be done through someone else, right? No, we're praying this. We're praying this for us, for our community. God, may this be true. Yeah. So we're owning that this may be true in our life. And so as we pray this line, there's an invitation to say, where is God's kingdom not number one in my life Mm -hmm. and in my community? Where is God not having all the power in my life or in my community? Where is God not being glorified in my life and community? And God, may you reveal that to me and may your mercy and grace make it Mm -hmm. so that it is in my life. One of the things we've talked about in the previous episodes is the power of praying the Lord's Prayer and pausing and reflecting after each line. And the questions you just asked, I think, are really excellent reflection questions for after this particular line. And we would encourage you then to pray the Lord's Prayer. And when you get to this line, to spend time thinking about exactly what Phil was asking us to consider, which is how... Does God need to have his will done in our lives? How do we need to make some changes to, you know, we talk about during our Lectio Divinas, what's kind of our action plan for the week ahead? Because now that we've realized this, we have to live differently. We can't keep living in the way we were before once we realize the sinfulness of it and the brokenness of it. And... um So we would encourage you then to make that part of your practice. Even if you pray through the whole prayer and you only put a reflection time after this particular line this week, that that will be part of how we internalize it. Because I believe when Christ gave us these words to pray, simply chanting them like a mantra throughout the day might not be enough to get them down into our soul, right? It could be. Again, we practice it in different ways. That's why I said might not be. (laughs) Uh, And we're excited. We're we're kind of starting to explore how different personality types uh, experience faith and spirituality. So you'll see Phil and I sometimes experience things very differently. And And I know that's you, you know, you, our listeners as well. Uh, There's different things you'll bring to the table than what we can. But I think, at least for me, Uh, reciting something over and over, I can memorize it. And I think the same is true of the Lord's Prayer. I can recite it. But um, the the space and sitting with it, one, it's hard for me. I think I'd rather do stuff. But to take that space to force yourself to kind of think about it, even if it's a short space that you're taking, can over time reap great rewards. And that's the thing about the spiritual disciplines and about faith. And uh, there's not necessarily a do this and your life will instantly be changed. Very rarely do I see God work in that way where your whole life turns upside down in one moment and nothing's ever the same again. Not that it can't happen, Oftentimes, I think our growth is on this steady, slow, every day showing up, engaging it, 
growing with it, making mistakes, reflecting on them, learning from them, confessing. And so I think the same thing is true when we can pray and take that time to reflect, even if for the first three weeks you're not feeling like you've grown or changed over time, all those little deposits into time with God are going to be transformative. Because they're habit forming, they are helping it to sink in. There's nothing magical about the spiritual disciplines as if this is the key to opening up God to listen. It's more just an aid for us to open, for us to hear, to create this intentional space. And so I just love, again, that the prayer begins and ends with God's holiness, God's glory, that everything in the prayer is ultimately about God's kingdom, God's glory, God's holiness, the fact that God provides for us. And in that provision, being a testimony to how good God is. God's forgiveness, how good is God's mercy and grace? That's a testimony to God. And then our ability to forgive gives glory to God. Like the fact that God leads us through temptation and away from evil that God's will is done. God hasn't abandoned us, but God is still working and fighting for justice, that God became a human being who lived, died, and resurrected so that his kingdom may come and will to be done. It's all for God's glory, not about our comfort, not about just getting what we want, but that God is glorified in and through us. And so we're super excited that you guys have joined us to go line by line through the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to finish this particular line in this episode with a passage from Micah chapter 5, verse 4 which is about the coming of Jesus. And it says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That's what we're praying for. That's what the Lord's Prayer leads us to. So brothers and sisters, as you pray this line for God's kingdom, that it is his, that it is the power and his glory for an ever and ever, May you experience that to be true in your life. May Jesus be your shepherd. May the majesty of God's name be glorified in your name. May his peace reach to the end of the earth. May God's greatness help you to live securely. May you open your life to the life of the Spirit and experience the Good Shepherd. Grace and peace be with you.